Hello, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, just published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. What makes them tick? In this episode, I'll be talking with Vanessa Bolas, the Chief Operations Officer at the YMCA Retirement Fund. Vanessa and I spoke about servant leadership, doing more and doing good, and her mantra of credibility, confidentiality, and reliability. I am thrilled to have as a guest Vanessa Bolas. Vanessa has been a client, and I dare say a friend, uh, certainly someone I've admired uh, for a long time, and she is uh, a leader in a movement I've admired for a long time since I was a child, the YMCA movement. Uh, let me read her, her bio so I, so I don't get it wrong. Vanessa Bolas is currently the Chief Operations Officer for the YMCA Retirement Fund based in New York City. Prior to joining the Retirement Fund, her experiences include a 36-year professional career with the YMCA that includes the roles of CEO, vice president, senior consultant, executive director, and program director with varying operations. Vanessa, um, thank you so much for joining the, the podcast as a guest. When I write about those indispensable go-to people, uh, you are exactly the sort of person uh, I'm, I'm uh, trying to introduce the world to, so welcome. Thank you so much. Really, I really am excited to be here and I can't wait to have our great conversation. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the YMCA movement, I mean, some people say, well, well sure, I'm, I'm familiar with the YMCA movement. They have a pool and a gym, right? Uh, or some people would say, well, they have camps uh, for kids. And some would say, oh, well, they have daycare for kids. And some would say, oh, well, it's a great place to get social services. And some would say, oh, they have lots of classes. And so, I mean, uh, you could go on and on and on because the YMCA touches so many people. But can you say something about the movement and what it means and the values and mission? Yeah, great question. Um, so yeah, 36 years, I understand the movement now. You know, all the years of growing into roles and people would say we're a movement and what does that mean? So for me, the way I describe it is that it's not really about the programs, the buildings, the services, um, that's the ultimate outcome but it is about the culture of, of doing good, doing more, and I think a huge culture and movement of problem solving. So for 176 years, I think, the, the worldwide, each Y tries to serve what's currently happening in their communities with program services. But the, the movement, I think, is about the staff and the people that um, are willing to be servant leaders. And uh, that's the fortune I've had for, and, and probably why I've lasted 36 years, you know, and, and very blessed to see see how, how much the Y's impacted so many people, including myself, I, you know, just the people I've met along the way, including someone like yourself in different, you know, uh, capacities, helps, helps you as a person, both personal and professional. So do more, do good, uh, servant leadership. Those are such important themes in, um, I think, what makes people want to do more for each other, that the more you, you serve and the more you do good and the more you do more, um, it's infectious almost. For sure, and I think the, um, when you talk about people that influence my life, it'll, it'll be some folks that are the frontline staff 
you know, it's not just a, a mentor or a former boss. There's some people that I've met that, you know, um, persevered so many things, but come to work with such energy and passion and, and, uh, and it is infectious. I mean, you, you kind of stand out if you're kind of an average, Hey, you know, hope the members are happy today. It's pretty important that everybody has that spirit. And my, one of my biggest compliments is when a few times I was running like branches, a member would say, I wish I could work here. Everybody's just such a great player and um, they just have fun and they're so passionate and, and to have a compliment of somebody that would like to work, you know, in your, in your, in sort of your world, I, it just really always made me feel good inside. Yeah. And I love what you say that, um, that one of the defining features of the culture is that if you're just kind of there doing your job, if you're just doing enough, if you're, if you're getting things done uh, and you're, you're not making too many mistakes and you have half a smile on your face, that that's not enough that, that you stand out because you're not going the extra mile. Correct. Yeah. It's pretty, and, and it's okay. You know, we, I think some people know right away that the why is hard work. You know, we're open hundred hours a week, you know, based on early morning to night camps and overnights. And so you really do have to have a special sauce, if you will, to, uh, to want to be there. And I think once you're there and you find that it's pretty powerful. How would you describe? So of course there are, intrinsic benefits to doing good and doing more and going the extra mile and serving others. But what does it do for you as an individual when you're somebody who that's how you show up, that's how you conduct yourself, that's how you think about your work, that's how you think about your relationships. What does it do for you? I think for me personally, it's provided um, such a grounding of what life's really about. I can honestly say probably 99% of the time, I've never watched the clock at work. You know, you don't sit in dread, you know, uh, every day it's 8.30, got to get to the office. You don't really have office hours. I mean, as you grow into leadership, maybe it's a little more defined, but so I think it, it just really showed, um, and I think it's helped shape who I am, that it's, it's about taking the time during your day to do good work. And uh, the other thing I would say about the why is you can be an entrepreneur in so many ways, so, you know, you could be a young program director and come in and say, you know, I really want to create a program for these kids that I always see riding their bikes and I don't think they have a place to go. And so, well, let's figure it out, you know, and so you have this whole process. And um, so it's a lot of the problem solving. So you do feel good that you've hopefully helped situations become better, especially for young people. Um, I think why, you know, that's what was founded on. And you can see when young people grow and you see them as camp counselors and then they become Y directors, uh, they started as a camper maybe. That's, it's just pretty powerful to watch that. So very fortunate to kind of be in that space on a daily basis. One of the things I want to ask you about is um, YRF, the YMCA Retirement Fund, where you are Chief Operations Officer, and your relationship uh, to the YMCA movement. And there are a couple of very interesting things about the way uh, the Y is organized and the relationship with YRF that I want uh, people to understand because they probably don't. So the YMCA is, is, uh, is a movement, but all, every YMCA is independent, right? Yeah, so we call it um, loosely federated, which is, uh, it's again, uh, it's good and bad. So the, the good part is that creates the movement. So every Y in this country is, independent in um, in their communities. So whether it's a small town in Iowa, um, that particular town that, you know, that Y is, it's, it's independent, but it also reports up to what, what we call the Federation, which is YMC the USA, mostly to help protect, um, you know, uh, protect the, the brand, make sure things are being done right and well and consistently, but it is a unique model. Um, it's, it's a very unique model, but I do think the, the retirement fund 
is the one common denominator that you know almost all wise participate in. And we have been around almost 100 years, uh, started by John Rockefeller Jr. and John R. Mott with the concept back in 1911 that how do we take care of people that serve their community, the mission work they're doing after they need to retire. The word retirement, I don't even know if it really was defined by at that time. Um, so they created that. And so 100 years later, you know, so many Y professionals are able to have a, a reward for a career of service. And, and I think the value of the fund is that we only serve Ys. We only serve Y staff, Y professionals. We're here to make sure that they do have a comfortable retirement because it is a challenge for, to give a career of service, but, um, but what, what a reward for that and to be able to have a dignified sort of retirement. And 100 years is a long time. Uh, and so there's some amazing stories of who's led the fund, um, how the funds uh, responded to all the crises from the Great Depression, even up to this pandemic, and uh, yet been able to sustain itself and pay, you know, a, a, every retirement check goes out regularly for almost 100 years. Yeah, one of the things that is so cool to me is that the Y, of course, is a hub of, of, of service and uh, social justice and um, a community service. Uh, and uh, whenever I go to a Y meeting, I always tell my wife, I feel like I'm surrounded by goodness. People have this, this incredible chance to work very, very hard doing lots of good. But what's so cool is, uh, when I interviewed a whole bunch of uh, Y executives and asked them about the YRF, you know, the other thing is they say they get to a certain point in their career and they say, also, I'm rich. Yeah, I mean, it is a blessing, right? Because today's world, the pension world's not not as favorable for, for a lot of, you know, the staff in America. So, um, but you work long and hard and you save a long, long time and then you probably can feel like you're rich, but you're also, and I witnessed this being here 11 years. Just the fact that you know you can retire, not when, it's just, I mean, I'm sorry, it's a matter of when, not if, um, has really let some great Y leaders do great work because they're not worrying about that part of you know, their life that they want to do what they need to do. And then they know kind of when it's time after usually 35, 40 years of service. So it's so some powerful stories. And, and because of the loose federation of the Ys and because of the role of YRF, and because of your particular role and that of your team, I think you're uniquely positioned uh, to speak about what I call the collaboration revolution and this sort of being always inundated by requests from all directions, right? If everybody nowadays is in shared services, so like everybody's your customer, uh, you have that experience in, in a big way on a daily basis, am I right? Yeah, for sure. I think um, in my mind, it's a couple of things. One is after being around for 35, 36 years, I've known many people that long. So we've kind of grown up together and maybe different paths at different whys. So I, I know I'm you know, pretty deep and long. And so they'll call when they need advice or they want a, a, an idea or should they go after this job? Um, they want to think about retiring. Um, so, but to your point about collaboration, it really has changed probably in the last 10 years where, you know, the, 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 whether it's the org chart got flattened or, but to, to go into any group setting and, uh, and especially as a consultant in my old job, you know, that quote power of influence is everything, but you kind of have to kind of look at it that way that you are there to collaborate and help, help everybody, you know, in, in some capacity or at least get them to the right place. 
Um, so it's, it's it's something I I love, but usually it's every morning I'm like, oh, I got to make sure I call that guy back. Oh, she needs to talk. I can tell something's wrong, you know. So you just have to really pay attention to uh, to the writing on the wall, if you will. Yeah, and look, if if you have professional relationships that go back 35 years, you know, in my experience, uh, people you've known in the workplace for 35 years, uh, sometimes you make a point of avoiding them, but you but but in fact, uh, if after 35 years in the movement people are always going to you. you know, what, what, what makes you a go-to person who stands the test of time? So for me, I do think it's the basics, you know, positive attitude, really good listener, ask the right questions. What are you really trying to get to? Is it just a new job or is it another reason why you're looking at that job? Um, you know, difficult conversations. I, I'm kind of the the why whisperer. I happen to know a lot of people because of all the years and I work coast to coast. Um, but I think it's just some of the same things in the book. Reliable. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to call you back. I'm going to call someone on your behalf. I'm going to tell you things that you don't want to hear and see how you feel about them, you know, with hopefully with empathy. But I, at the end of the day, I think it's my um, credibility, confidentiality, and reliability. So credibility, confidentiality, people know they can trust you and reliability they know that you'll deliver now does that mean you say yes to everyone and everything i don't know if i can say i don't say yes to everybody <laughs> I, I feel like i want to say sure i just say i can't i don't have time for you but i know i've paid some dues for that you know maybe that's the other piece of that is that over now that i'm a little older and smarter you know it's not maybe, maybe as tough for me so sometimes to your point yeah i can't always say to, i can talk to you today but it's a it's been a twenty four seven periods of you know where some you know if someone's really needing to talk to you and they're hurting um, for whatever reason they got fired or they're going to get fired or um, you know those obviously pop up and I'll make the time much much quicker than hey can you wait till tomorrow or can we wait till you know Monday and see if I you know can pace myself that way so but I really feel maybe it's that also that little seventh sense of being able to hear what they're asking hey can we talk. Um, I, you know, and I just know the people, some of them well enough to know if they're really needing something, I, I'll make the time. I'll, and maybe it's even talk for five and listen, this seems like it's going to be an hour. Um, so maybe let, can, let's set up a time that's going to be more convenient for both of us, that kind of thing. So, so there's two things you said there that I love. One is what you're really describing is tuning in to other people. And you said you're a good listener. You said the seventh sense. Uh, you said being able to see what they're really asking uh, or being able to try to help them see what is your real objective. I call that tuning into the ask, right? And, and helping somebody fine tune their ask. And I love that you said, you know, you might sort of triage the situation and, and have an initial phone call and see uh, how urgent is this? And uh, oh, maybe, maybe it's yes in a few days. But you said, uh, that's how you pace yourself. And I love that because I think one way to think about uh, how do you sustain a reputation as an indispensable go-to person, how do you maintain that real influence over time, pacing yourself is a big part of that. Yeah, I think it's that. I think um, finding your own energy, you know, so uh, making sure that you're present when those conversations are happening and so it's, it's, it's definitely, you got to dig deep a lot of days to, to really make sure, you know, that you're going to be of value. And, and that's probably my ultimate dream is I just want to be of value, whether it's fixing a problem, helping someone get promoted, 
watching some, you know, watching someone grow into a role that they never thought, like so many women in our movement will say to me, I can't be a CEO. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like you would be a fabulous CEO, you know, and then you help them position themselves differently. And um, for them to say, I just would have never thought that I should have been a CEO if you wouldn't have said that to me that one day. Right. To say to somebody, you could be a CEO and, and help build that person up and lift that person up uh, and, and help that person expand her repertoire and, uh, and her future when you do that for somebody, they never forget that. And, and you're, not, you're not doing that for their gratitude. And yet, if you've done that for a lot of people over time, all those people out there whom you know over the years, so many of them will tell stories about how you have helped them learn and grow and, and, and how you've lifted them up. Yeah. And I think then when you, you know, asked me to do this and I know I'm a go-to person, but you always feel a little egotistical saying that, right? You know, um, <laughs> right. But, it, but you're absolutely right. I think it's, and, and that reputation of she'll, she'll tell you what it's like. She'll tell you what it's real. Like uh, I, I've had so many introductions when I do presentations of, you know, if you have not talked to Vanessa about either your career or, you know, she's, you're missing out because she's the one that's going to tell you the truth. And, you know, a quick example is a one of my dear mentees, you know, he was looking at a CEO job in a different region, um, totally different than where his probably where he's from and the culture he's from. And I said, you know, you have to live there once you get the job. You know, you're going to be comfortable living in a place that's just completely opposite of. I said, why don't you fly down there and stay a week and see if you think you can live there? Because you're you could get the job, but then you're going to live there and then you're going to be unhappy. And he calls me and he goes, I hated that you're right. I knew you were so right. I could never live there. <laughs> <laughs> So it's that kind of, you know, sort of level of frankness and uh, fierce conversation about just make sure, you know, double check some of these things so um, that you're, you got to be happy every day to go to work. And that's, that's the, that's the hard part, right? You want a new promotion or someone asks you to apply for a job. Is it really the right all around thing for you to do and your family, you know, knowing some of them for so long, I know their family too, you know, so it's like, I don't think your wife wants to go there. Um, You sure you talked to her about that, you know, that kind of conversation goes, goes a long way. Well, you know, this is what I call uh, sometimes um, what you're really saying to somebody is, well, you you can do this and, and you're allowed to do this, but I don't think you should do this. And sometimes what a huge favor it can be to help somebody make a decision to say no. Uh, a good no is a huge gift. Yeah, and I had a situation where I, someone went ahead and did it anyway, and then they hated it. They're like... <laughs> year or two later, they left that job and they're like, I should listen to you. I said, no, you, you did your best, you know, but you kind of just know these things after being around the block for a while. So, um, but I, I, you know, it's interesting. So when I get like lately, I've been trying to really help younger people that I don't know, send me a resume, you know, what are you looking to do? I feel like I'm in the feeding frenzy of, I want to see some of the young people really get to fulfill their dreams. Um, you know, the why's been in tough times as we all are. So we really want to get some great young blood in there that want to do passionate, great work and, and we'll have them and they're there, but I want to do whatever I can also to help start lifting those guys up. So just a different, you know, a different conversation, um, looking at a resume, which, you know, I haven't really had to hire anybody at a frontline position for many years. It's pretty cool. You know, it's like during my, the good old days, you know, like when you were there and somebody probably helped me. So. Well, I, I, I want to ask you about that. First, I do want to draw a bright line under something you said a minute ago, which is uh, that, that experience of having somebody say, I should have listened to you. And to me, that is such a powerful data point that when, when, when people say, 
boy, I'm so glad I listened to you, or gee, I should have listened to you. That part of having interpersonal power, when people want to know what you think, they, the reason people ask for your advice is because you have a track record of being right. And that's so powerful. That's why in the moment, it's so important to not tell people what they want to hear. It's so important to do your due diligence, be authentic, and, and really uh, try to give people the answer that's going to stand the test of time. Because when you have a reputation for being right, then people want to know what you think. That's a great example of what I call playing the long game moment by moment, right? You know, uh, bite the bullet in the moment and, and tell the truth because over time, that's what makes you somebody people want to know what you think and people are willing to trust your judgment. Many years ago, a gentleman named Rick Sprague, he was a consultant to the YUSA consulting team and his program was called Success Without Feedback is Just an Accident. And it's true. I mean, if, if you really want to be successful, feedback is everything. And can you learn to love feedback? I remember my first 360 review, I was devastated. I'm like, what? Um, and I focused only on the one thing that, you know, but it was powerful feedback. So anyway, I think that to your point, you know, people want feedback and I'll say that to them, you know, I'll say, what, what are you really, really wanting me to tell you? Yeah. And that's, uh, um, that's what I call the value of human intelligence, that your ears are always open. Your eyes are always open and, you know, you go out of your way to solicit good frontline information, what's really going on. And because you have such a wide network of people who rely on you, you also have uh, very good information. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's truly a unique position that I'm in, I think, because I did run operations coast to coast, national position, consulting position, and in this position. So I just know a lot more people because of that, that sort of pattern of, you know, I'm out and about all the time. That, that to me, again, is like, that's the 36-year benchmark of just kind of knowing what's going on out there. And I, I, get, I do get amazed that people will say things and I'll say, I, I, that doesn't sound right. So whatever you're feeling is probably going to happen. Stay connected to the writing on the wall, to your point, you know, go to the front line and just hang out there in the lobby and you'll hear what they're talking about. As hard as it sounds, people always say that, how do you know these things? I'm like, well, you just kind of have to listen. So I, I want to come back to your focus now on new young talent for two reasons. One, I want to ask you, when you're looking for new young talent, when you think, you know, I want to bring this person into the movement, what are the traits you're looking for? I always can admire someone that is of service. So there, a great story. I had um, used to go in California, I'd get my coffee at a little local little coffee place. And the barista was just happy and pleasant and always wanted to you know, do more for you and open the door for you. And so I remember talking to her and I said, you know, you should work at the Y. Like you got just the right ingredient. You know, you just truly are customer service, service driven, positive attitude, you know, sort of the basics. And, uh, and so she did, she came and was a part-time, I think front desk person at the time. I came back, I left that Y, came back for the 75th anniversary about eight years later, and she was a full-time Y director. And I looked and I said, I, this is fantastic. And she's like, I know, I love my job, you know, but I just knew that she loved what she was doing, whether it was making the coffee early, you know, 6 a.m., who's, who's happy at that point until <laughs> we get our coffee. And <laughs> I think it's that. I think it's truly um, humble, you know, just sort of the humbleness of people. So you can kind of sense where people are just going to do whatever it takes. Today's young people, and I'm 
fortunate. I have two sons that are 24, 22, and I, I see the world, I get to see some of the way this generation is thinking and, um, and talking and pretty fascinating. You know, they're not caught up in stuff. You know, they don't, it's just not their thing. They are caught up in quality of living and, you know, experiences um, and doing more. And they, and the work they do, they want to do good work. So, um, but anyway, I just think that you can kind of sense people and even, you know, older people too, that really just care and want to do well. So you're looking for attitude. You're looking for a, a mindset of service. Right. Consistent, not one day. You know, it's every day. You know, every time I see that person, it's pretty powerful when they're still happy to be there, happy to help you get your day started with a smile. Um, and, and that consistency is, I think, a big piece of it, too. Consistency. That, so consistency, attitude, mindset of service. Are those things you can learn? Great question. We, we went through this whole thing uh, back at my wife's San Francisco days. We went to Disney University to talk about hiring right. That's their mantra for, you know, always hire the right people because you can't teach certain things. So, for example, it was all about how might you solve this problem, you know. So I, I think you can train some of it, but I don't think you can train consistency for it. You know, you, you might be able to learn that I want to solve a problem today, but it becomes a burden then I think, because that's sort of the why way. You're always, an instructor is going to be late for class. The pool chemicals went down, you know, camp is raining and the kids aren't happy, you know, so you got to have people that are willing to do the, do the, um, you know, kind of figure out another way to make them happy. So we would hire right using the steps that we learned and, uh, and make sure that we really felt like they had the right attitude, the right service commitment and then train them for the other things. So I, I think you have to hire right or look for the right attitude and, um, and then they do just blossom from there. Last question for you. Uh, so if you bring in one of these uh, new young people with the right attitude and service mindset and, and they ask you, well, how, how does somebody like me get to be somebody like you? Uh, what, what's your, uh, your, your most consistent career advice? couple quick things. One is, again, reliable and perform. So you, nobody can take that away if you perform. Metrics are metrics. So you got to meet your budget. You got to do what you say you're going to do. Follow through is probably everything. So if you, yeah, if somebody said, you said you're going to bring this tomorrow, right? And you forget it, it bums people out, you know, so they, and they remember that. So the one thing I try to say as an example is don't give anybody a bone on the simple things. Just like a dog. When a dog gets a bone, he doesn't want to give it back. So if you, if you say you're going to do something and it's pretty simple, but you don't, people will remember that and they won't forget it. So versus you could do 10 things well, one thing that you should have done well and you didn't, and they're going to remember that one. It takes forever to build credibility. It takes one bad action to get rid of it or to lose that. And um, I've lived by that. So it's just that kind of sense of being reliable, being consistently reliable as well. And you said follow through is everything. Follow through is everything. No matter what, big, small, you know, if you say you're going to do something and and I would say with young people too, that you, you got to help them a lot. You know, you can't just say, well, you got good ingredients and you're pretty smart. Here are the keys. Um, let me know if you have some trouble starting the car. You know, you really you should be willing to check in and, and coach them more and, uh, and show them that, you know, it's okay to do something that's not perfect, but it's usually a pretty good joy ride. You know, I love hanging out with people that just want to keep doing more and better and they're just so committed to helping others. So that's been not a heavy lift. It's been more of a, you know, you give, give what you get back kind of thing. Vanessa Bolas, a true indispensable. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you for the work you do in service of a great movement uh, that I am also proud to be a supporter of. So 
uh, thank you so much. Thank you. It was wonderful uh, talking with you. And thanks for writing the book. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. In our next episode, I'll be speaking with my good friend and longtime client, John Morrison, who is president of Wabco for the Americas. We'll be talking about the realities of the matrix. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Any little bit helps to drive us up the charts. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. You can learn more about gotoism and the techniques which make indispensable people stand out in their jobs and careers and lives in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in bulk orders, please check the show notes for more information. And finally, you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com, by following me on Twitter, at Bruce Tulgan, or find me on LinkedIn and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Until next time, stay strong and be indispensable at work.